It's the 31st of May. It is a Tuesday morning. You're locked into Real Talk. Thanks for downloading the podcast. Thanks for checking us out on YouTube. Thanks for live streaming us on Mixler. However you're catching us, if it's live right now, we appreciate it. Thanks for being part of today's show. In just a second, we'll talk to Edmonton's Mayor Amarjeet Sohi. Um, get his response to uh, what might be described as an inflammatory letter from Alberta's justice minister about crime. And in our home city of Edmonton, this is really a provincial story. In, in my estimation, it's actually a national story because it's a pretty interesting dynamic between the two levels of government. This following uh, some some pretty horrific instances, a, a couple of homicides in Edmonton's Chinatown district prompted a letter from the justice minister, Tyler Shandro, who said, uh, the citizens of Edmonton deserve better than what their council's giving them. We'll find out what the mayor has to say about that. And coming up in about a half hour from now, Johnny, we're really excited about this one. John Hicks, the technical producer of this show, a real talker by the name of Rhea Lisa Schmidt Tigan. Yeah is going to join us live from Damascus, Syria. Wow. Uh, we're hoping all the tech works out. Uh, she is good to go. She's there, a humanitarian aid worker. She's been there for a while. Uh, she reached out to us. I mean, she's been emailing us for a long time, really sharp takes on a lot of different subject matter. And one of her recent bits of correspondence with us, she said, I just want to remind people that Syria is still here. Mm -hmm. We said, well, let's check in with her and see what's going on. Uh, their perspective, there's tie-ins between what's happening in Ukraine and what's happening in Syria. And not just, well, yeah, there's, there's war displaced refugees from both countries. It's more than that. Uh, there's issues relating to rising costs. There's issues uh, like food security. Uh, we'll ask Ray Elisa about this. You know that uh, Syria imports... Uh, more than 80 percent, uh, as far as we can tell, more than 80 percent of its crops like grain from Ukraine. Wow. So with a lot of Ukrainian farmers obviously unable to plant right now, they've got other things going on. She's going to weigh uh, in on that. Yeah, there's going to be a big uh, implication around the world. So that conversation, uh, we're really expecting to be a powerful one that in about a half hour's time. Plus the leading edge, we're going to take a look at innovation today and we're going to kick off our question of the week this week. It ties in directly to a bill tabled yesterday by the federal liberals, uh, you might call it a handgun control bill or a firearms restriction bill. We'll get into those details in shows to come. This show happens because of the support of sponsors like our title sponsor, the team at Bitcoin. Well, if you have questions about Bitcoin, I'm never here telling you you should sell the farm and buy Bitcoin. And if you have Bitcoin, I'm not telling you whether or not you should hold it or buy it. I'm telling you if you have questions Hold it or sell it, rather. If you have questions about it, I recommend you talk to Benny and his team at Bitcoin. Well, I said to him last time I was in there, you mind if I refer to you by name? You mind if I send people to you specifically by name? He goes, no, nah, man, I kind of like it. Benny in the bits. Benny in the bits. <laughs> what a great cover band. <laughs> I don't know how he is with music. I know he's sure smart at helping me understand what's going on in the world of cryptocurrency, Bitcoin in particular. You can find the link to Bitcoin well right at the top of the page under the sponsors tab on our website ryanjesperson.com Real Talk Ryan Jesperson starts right now Should also mention, if you're paying attention to politics in Alberta and Western Canada, Don Braid reporting this morning, something that uh, I'm not going to say we called it because I think it was uh, it happened. Maybe, it was maybe obvious, <laughs> but it did happen. We talked about it last week. Uh, Alberta's finance minister, Travis Taves, officially becomes the first uh, to enter his name into the mix uh, officially to seek the leadership of the United Conservative Party. Uh, 
now you, you may say, well, what do you mean he's the first? What about Brian Jean, the former Wild Rose Party leader? What about Danielle Smith, the former Wild Rose Party leader? Yeah, both of them have said that they will seek the leadership. They've both indicated, uh, essentially announced that they're going to seek the leadership, but they've not officially filed their papers. That's what Travis Taves did last night. And so he officially becomes the first into the mix, but, nice. but they don't even know really the rules, the structure, yeah. the timeline. They don't they don't know any of the details really. So maybe some of these camps are going, well, we're just going to hang tight for now. You know, yeah. could be could be August, could be September. Uh, but at least now we know there's one name we can talk about. He's kind of a steady Eddie type candidate. OK, uh, people may see him as kind of a status quo candidate. OK, uh, Don Braid in his column, veteran political columnist in Alberta, said this. He, he kind of compared him. He said, you think back to to when uh, Jim Dinning was coming in on the heels mm. of, of Ralph Klein leaving and, and Jim Dinning was kind of seen as the establishment candidate. Uh, of course, he didn't win, yeah. right? And so uh, that was the one where, where uh, Ed Stelmack just shot up the middle. You had all, yeah. the, all those sort of like the, the stars in the mix, politically speaking, in Alberta. Jim Dinning, Gary Marr, which of the stars was going to be the next premier of Alberta? And, and Ed Stelmack, kind of the, the way that the structure works, people have their first choice on the ballot and then their second and third. And and Stelmack, quite likable, competent, mm-hmm. steady, was a lot of people's second choice, third choice. And so the deeper that the vote went, as more candidates were knocked out of there, Stelmack just ultimately Taking rose up. to the top. So it was kind of an, it was kind of an uh, maybe not unforeseeable, but it's probably fair to call it somewhat of an unexpected outcome. So who knows what's going to happen with this leadership race? Uh, we you won't th- spend too much time talking about it right now because there's not a lot to cover, but Travis Taves in the mix. You think Danielle's going to jump in there? And yeah. I mean, she soon? says she is. And I so we'll see what happens. I watched full interview with you uh, from back. Like, I think it was like a year and a half. Yeah, ago. It was right. It was her first like interview. An hour she long. Walked I watched away it last from night. her uh, talk show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause she and I longtime colleagues. Yeah. Right. Uh, in the terrestrial radio business. And we did a lot of simulcasts and shows mm. together and, and uh, always had a good working relationship. Don't see eye to eye on, on a ton of things. I but, noticed uh, that in the interview. Great interview if you want to go back through the Real Talk archives. Yeah, that's still. I think that's still one of our top 10 downloaded sure. interviews. So that was a good one, uh, Danielle Smith. And then, of course, there's real life happening, too. I saw you, for those that are watching on YouTube, I saw you throw up that screen there. And, and we'll, we'll ask uh, his God, worship, trigger heavy. Amarjeet Sohi, about this one. He had his bet. Now, it's, it's now long since been settled. The Oilers and the Flames. But when does it happen? Yeah, like does it happen? You mean Did Calgary's it? mayor getting her face painted yeah, and I wearing didn't the see jersey? Anything yeah, I don't yet. know what's going on yeah. with that. So we'll have to see what what Edmonton's mayor's plan is. Don't we were wondering. On this uh, bet. Well, no, there's no way they can. He wouldn't let that happen. And we got to ask him what he's doing uh, with regards to uh, Denver's mayor Michael Hancock. I wonder if he's going to have a bet with uh, with Denver's mayor down in Colorado. I would expect so. The Colorado Avalanche. We say this to heap as much pressure as possible tonight game one of the western conference final the colorado avalanche the edmonton oilers for a trip to the stanley cup final game one tonight it's an early puck drop six o'clock mountain eight o'clock eastern which is good it means you'll have the eyes of the nation on the game yeah Battle six of o'clock the start feels a little bit weird yeah it does <laughs> um but uh, but i think you say the uh safely that the avs are the favorites here but i don't know how you say that really without acknowledging that something special is happening with the Oilers superstars. Yeah, they're getting Leon fired up. Connor McDavid. But I, I definitely agree with you. Like, I wanted the Blues. I wanted the Blues to come through because it's just the easier team, right? Like, McKinnon, I remember during the bubble watching uh, Nathan McKinnon and being like, wow, this is the first guy I've seen in real life who is as as fast, I'll say, as Connor at times, Connor McDavid. Yeah. Uh, like he just zooms through the ice. But Connor, of course, has that 
extra gear. You yeah, know? you don't want to call extra gear. You don't want to call Nathan McKinnon the poor man's anything. But he is because he's, he's really a superstar, fast, really smart, like on the ice, like knows where the puck is all the time. Like, yeah, yeah, he's he's he's. Uh, although I want to, what is it? Uh, we're doing this on the fly. You'll never believe it, real talkers, would you? But we're doing this on the fly. We didn't plan this. I wanted to check this out. Yeah, he is kind of relatively speaking. Uh, the poor man, uh, and and you'll roll your eyes on this, but his salary this he year just a, a paltry, yeah. just a paltry six point eight five million. That's it. Yeah, that's it. That's all the guys. Well, making. he but, he wanted to build this team, right? Yeah. And like I said, I think this is one of the last years that they're going to get a chance to do this together. So I hope. Uh, yeah, the and the Avs locked him in, right? And so this is uh, this will be. I think yeah, this is the last year. No, next year will be the last year of his deal at 6.85. And then Nathan McKinnon, if McDavid's getting 12 and a half and, uh, you know, I mean, if other yeah. guys are getting 10, McKinnon's going to get 12. Yeah. So he'll he'll make up for it. But, yeah, I, I mean, I facetiously say he's the poor man's Connor because he's a supreme talent. Himself. He's incredible. And I didn't know, like, I'd always watch on TV and people were like, McKinnon is better than McDavid. And I would be like, no, what are you talking about? Then I saw him in the bubble. I'm like. Wow, he's very comparable. He's very close. So if here's the thing: if the Oilers don't win, I wouldn't mind seeing the Abs go. Seeing the, the Abs go on, I don't well, want to see the we freaking Lightning win we again. Shouldn't, we shouldn't be talking just, this far ahead, though. You know, I think we should just focus on the task at hand, <laughs> one game at a time. Let's take this one game at a time. Yeah, I'm feeling a little superstitious. A little yeah, I'm feeling just. Yeah, I'm not superstitious. I'm just. Oh, we're stealing that line. We have to be honest, aren't we? Oh, the uh, mayor's, here. mayor's here. Is he ready to rock? All right, give me one second. Actually, Johnny, let me do a quick mention here. Uh, of course, the others are going to be traveling down to Denver. They're down there now. Uh, back and forth. I'm creating a segue here. It's shameless. It's what we do sometimes. If you're going to be heading out of town, if you're flying over Edmonton's International Airport, you got your golf clubs packed up, ready to go. Maybe you got some of your scuba gear set. It's been a while since you've been in the water. Maybe you just have six pairs of flip-flops and freshly painted toenails, and you're about to treat yourself, but you want to keep some money in your pocket. I recommend you park at Jet Set Parking at Edmonton's International Airport. You can save money by booking online today at jetsetparking.com. You have to book at least 24 hours in advance. So if you're flying out tomorrow, do it now. You can book all the way through till travel by the end of 2022. So you can book even seven months ahead right now. Use the promo code REALTALK when you sign up at jetsetparking.com and that'll get you parking at just $7 a day. The promo code REALTALK gets you set up at Jet Set Airport Parking. The shuttle takes you to your departures gate, brings you back to your vehicle. You swipe out with your card. It's never been easier with Jet Set Parking. Our friends at Eden Landscaping want to remind you that, you know, oftentimes... You move into this beautiful new home. You've thought about the fixtures, the flooring, and all of the beautiful details inside, but that front yard, let's be honest, it's looking a little uninspired, right? That kind of cookie cutter that the builder gives you, the one lonely tree, and just a whole bunch of grass. Uh, LandscapeEdmonton.ca. You can check out Eden Landscaping's portfolio and learn more about their urban front yard butterfly approach. It attracts pollinators to your yard, it's the most eco-friendly design. It's where people are taking it. It's trending, if you will, when people are bringing their outdoor spaces to life. That's the specialty of Eden Landscaping. Again, you can check them out. Get a quote today. Contact them at landscapeedmonton.ca. And our friends at Kubi Energy, providing solar energy solutions to power your life, want to remind you they are always hiring, including 
some of the higher levels. I mean, supervisors, installers, ticketed electricians and apprentices across Alberta and BC working out of their home office in Edmonton, their office in Kamloops as well. More and more people are looking into solar, which means more job opportunities for skilled workers. You can get in touch with the company. Submit your resume for consideration today at kubienergy.ca. Our leadoff guest this morning is coming off the heels of a big win, a bet with his colleague down in Calgary. That is Mayor Chody Kondek, who will soon have her face painted blue and orange. Amarjeet Sohi, the mayor seven. of Edmonton. Uh, what's that? June 7. June already knows. Are you like, are you the type? Do you have a calendar? You're just ticking it down in blue and orange marker that tell June 7? Absolutely. Absolutely. 930. Oh, I love it. 930, June 7th, Calgary Council meeting. Tune in. Okay. We were wondering on the show who gets to actually paint Mayor Gondek's face. I don't suppose that you're bussing down there on the red arrow to do the painting yourself, are you? No, no. She would have to probably hire uh, someone from Edmonton to do it for her, right? Uh, uh, but I will be watching here. I'll be watching uh, from Edmonton uh, for her to walk into the council chambers and uh, and into a, and into the meeting. So it'll be a a moment to watch. Well, right? it's been thirty years uh, since a mayor of either of Alberta's uh, two largest cities has had a chance to see the other dawn enemy colors, so to speak. So I know that'll be a big one. Do you have a bet in place with Denver's mayor Hancock? No, we haven't figured that out yet, right? Uh, although maybe I'll, I'll ask my staff to uh, reach out to a mayor's office and see uh, if they are interested in this. But now the entire Canada got to cheer for us. That's the phenomenal thing. Now. Yeah, this is really neat. It's been it's been a yeah. lot of fun to see people talk about the Oilers as Canada's team. Although I know oh, not, every, not energy, everybody and agrees. I just, I like, I, like I, I've been going to... Uh, uh, games uh, in the in the Rogers place, but also outside in the square. And I can tell you the uh, the energy that we are seeing in our city uh, is phenomenal and well behaved, fun, good fun. So it's nice to know that. Yeah, I, I saw your uh, staff had posted. I think it was on Instagram some video of you just just among the people. Uh, thousands of people that were catching this game outside and and obviously a, a big win against the Flames in game five to to move this forward. This is this is kind of a I mean, rel you're relatively new uh, in your tenure as Edmonton's mayor. You've had a, a, a bunch of experience as a counselor. You've obviously had a whole bunch of experience as a member of parliament and a senior federal cabinet minister. But this has got to be something special. You've, you've never and a lot of people haven't seen uh, in Edmonton a, a cop run or something like this for, for quite some time. What's it telling you about the city that that you preside over? You know, uh, we have been through some uh, rough time over the last two and a half years living through the pandemic. People are yearning for fun. People are yearning for connection. And uh, this series has provided us uh, the reason to celebrate and come together as a community. So that's what I see out there. That's what I experience out there. People are just happy uh, to to see each other. And they're happy that if, uh, our Oilers are doing so great and that they're having phenomenal, phenomenal games. And they're working really hard to uh, bring home the cup. So that sense of excitement and a sense of uh, you know hope out there is is something that really energizing people. You mentioned, and I noticed you you fit in a quick comment about 
basically people are behaving themselves downtown. And for all intents and purposes, we see that is true. There's been the odd video of somebody hammered with their shirt off standing on top of a sign or a bus bench or something like that. But but we're not seeing riots. We're not seeing, you know, mass arrests or fires or things like that. Uh, kind of in stark contrast, I guess, to something that I know that city council and the entire city has been wrestling with the uh, mourning the loss of of two men both of them killed blunt force trauma injuries in in chinatown uh just a short time ago it prompted uh, not just outcry from edmonton's downtown community in particular edmonton's chinese community but also a letter from alberta's justice minister the solicitor general tyler shandro essentially if i if i can boil this down mayor suggesting that safety is not a priority of yours and council he's demanding a plan from you um, you've had time, as I said in my tweet yesterday, to count to a million. Uh, I would imagine if I was you, I'd be pretty ticked off to receive a letter like that. But but how are you processing it now a few days later? You know, safety has been uh, a number one concern that uh, Edmontonians identified and community has identified. That's something that I have been working on uh, and our council has been working on. Safety in a broader sense. We have a lot of issues related to houselessness mental health addictions, people are experiencing a lot of trauma on the streets and they're being preyed upon. They, they need to feel safe and communities need to feel safe. And the two tragic uh, deaths and two members of the you know Chinese community that we lost uh, last week is absolutely horrifying. And, uh, and we are working hard. We're working with EPS, we're working with police commission and we're working with the fire uh, department. And uh, we've been, I've been reaching out to the province from day one asking for help that we need help in order to uh, uh, make our communities safer. So uh, you know, I was surprised by the letter, but now we got the letter. It's an opportunity for us to, uh, to work with the province and really highlight uh, areas that they should be uh, uh, providing more support to our city. I saw that uh, you, you tweeted yesterday that you had lunch with uh, the MLA out of, uh, I think, Parkland County, if I remember correct, Cyril Turton, uh, regional chair, United Conservative MLA. You say we spoke about a shared goal of whatever it takes uh, to keep our community safe. What sorts of conversations do you have? I mean, when it comes down to the rubber hitting the road, uh, what can the average citizen understand about the cooperation that can occur and maybe how you approach an issue like this? No, MLA Cyril Turton has been a delight to work with. Uh, one of the, uh, I would say, he, he really understands the challenges that we are facing in the capital region, particularly here in uh, in Edmonton. He has been our ally. He has been raising his voice within caucus, as I, as far as I understand, in uh, in raising those concerns. So I really value and appreciate his uh, his time and his advocacy. But we need to get to ministers, and I have been reaching out to minister. Have had a call with the premier a number of times reached out to a number of other ministers, talking about why lack of investments in housing, lack of investment in support of permanent wraparound services uh, for people to heal, uh, the mental health crisis that we have in our city, the opiate crisis, the poisoning crisis that we have in our city. We lose members of our community every day because of overdose deaths. And, uh, and these are provincial responsibilities. Yes, we are doing our part. We are stepping in where we can. We are funding police service uh, adequately. We are providing uh, uh, support systems available through uh, other city departments, uh, through bylaws, uh, and uh, in a, investing in support of housing, investing in prevention. But this is a shared responsibility. Community safety is not just municipality's responsibility. Province needs to step up, feds needs to step up, and we need to work together.
when it comes to crime downtown, um, I'm, I'm, I'm approaching with caution because I don't want the question to sound insensitive. But but when you when there is a high profile incident like a homicide or a double homicide and you have grieving families who who have every reason to be obviously and understandably absolutely devastated. Uh, but but it but it 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 fuels. Uh, oh gosh, I want to be so careful how I say this, but there's this narrative, and I'm not suggesting it's not true. But people might say, well, downtown's just not safe, right? Transit's just not safe. Chinatown's just not safe. Uh, look at this, this homicide. Um, at the same time, this could be an isolated incident, right? A man, a man was taken into custody, and, and police believe that he's the man that's responsible for both of those homicides. Like, could that be a one-off, or is? crime actually to a position where it's you know to a place where it's a, a crisis in Edmonton like is it as bad as many people are saying it is is it different than Calgary is it different than Toronto is there something unique happening in Edmonton that is that that is not occurring or not trending in other major urban centers in Canada what's your assessment you know I was looking at uh, Calgary stats uh, over the weekend they are facing the same problems that we are facing. And these are serious problems. We cannot undermine or underestimate the impact of the disorder and the crime that we are seeing in our downtown, in our Chinatown, on 118th Avenue uh, and other business districts. Uh, it's concentrated pockets, right, uh, where we are seeing the increased violence as well as uh, uh, disorder and uh, and petty, petty crime and all that, right? So things that people really worry about, things that people that scare people away from those uh, those areas. So these are serious concerns that we have and we need to tackle them, but they are interconnected with the social challenges that we have, we are facing. And every city is facing those social challenges. I was talking to a, a Mayor John Dory over a couple of weeks ago. As a matter of fact, I was in, in Toronto for the Junos. They have encampments everywhere in the uh, in the city. They have disorder everywhere in the downtown, right? So, uh, and you know, Montreal same, Vancouver same. So, I think this is not a unique problem for Edmonton, but that doesn't mean that we pass on the bucket, right? that we don't do uh, the things that we need to do, and we are taking significant amount of steps. We are adding more, uh, you know. Peace officers on our transit system. We're hiring more social workers so that people can be connected to services. Uh, we just announced our uh, China safety plan yesterday, along building on the work that we have been already already doing. But the long-term sustainable solutions to these issues cannot be found until we tackle the crisis of houselessness, the crisis of mental health, the crisis of addictions, and the crisis of trauma that people are experiencing, particularly in the in the context of indigenous communities that have been colonized, that have been gone through residential schools, uh, you know, of pain and uh, and that have been, uh, you know, marginalized, face racism on a daily basis. Uh, and all those things needs to be tackled in a long-term way. That is why it is so important that we, uh, that we come together as a community, that we come together as a provincial government and federal government and municipality working together to, uh, to find long-term solutions at the same time taking immediate actions. There is a crime problem out there. I would admit there is a crime problem out there. And we need to make a distinction between those who are houseless, harmless, not hurting anybody, and those who are preying on houseless people and also preying on the communities and uh, engaging in criminal criminal activity. And we need to make that distinction. And we need to get tough on those who are causing crime. At the same time, we need to show compassion and care for those who are hurting and living in pain. 
the average person might listen to what you're talking about and, and acknowledge the validity of the points that you're making around houselessness or homelessness or around drug use, around uh, mental health supports or the lack thereof, etc. And they might also note that a lot of these are subject matter where ideologies come into play when politicians are interacting with one another. You know, an example might be supervised consumption services or the opioid epidemic, where I find it hard to believe that this provincial government and your city council will ever achieve consensus position on any of that. And you could say the same thing for other supports. You could even say the same thing when you talk about colonizing impacts, when you talk about reconciliation. I mean, there have been statements and positions taken by this provincial government, including the author of their new curriculum rewrite, that would indicate that they don't take that type of thing, or at least not at the top mayor. They don't take it as seriously as you. They don't share the same perspective. And so the average person like me may become inclined to be discouraged that maybe nothing will happen if ideology stands in the way of collaborative approaches to things like the opioid crisis, houseless supports, and, and other mental health supports. How do you get past that? You know, I, I think we need to set aside our ideologies. We need to set aside the dogmatic approach to certain ways of doing things. We are willing to work with anyone who's willing to work with us because our goal is to make our community safe. And we need to look for every solution. There's no one single a solution that will work. We need to find everything, each and everything that we need to, we can to uh, to make our communities safe from enforcement to uh, you know safe supply to uh, harm reduction sites to recovery uh, uh, facilities and uh, and treatment facilities to uh, uh, dealing with mental health crisis and uh, and making sure that people are actually looked after and we focus on prevention and investing in uh, in communities in that way so we need to look at every op- each and every option that is available out there our i am not dogmatic about it i i I, I am focused on people and I will continue to focus on people and we'll continue to look for opportunities uh, that we can find working with, uh, with the provincial government and the federal government. For example, you know, there are things we can do. Uh, why do we have uh, people released from hospitals who have no place to go, hmm. right? When they go for treatment, they're let onto, uh, they're released onto the street because they have no place to go. Why do we have situations where when people do their time in prisons, they're let into the community without having a plan in place for housing. Where are they going to go? They're going to end up on the street. So these are some of the challenges we have. Then we have addictions crisis in our communities. Then we have our houseless population doubled during the pandemic. So these are real challenges. It this doubled, Mayor? I'm sorry? It doubled? It, a houseless population doubled during pandemic in Edmonton. Wow. So it's, it's a crisis that we have. In, in our community, every day we lose two people to opiate crisis because of overdose, um, because the poison that is out on the streets. So these are real issues, Ryan. This is not time for ideologies. This is not time for bickering and uh, and and fighting with each other. This is about working together in a collaborative way. We are willing to do that. We have been demonstrating ever since I got elected. I have been reaching out to every minister that I possibly could to plead for help because we do need help. We cannot tackle these issues uh, uh, on our own. 
Yes, we need to fund our program services, which we do. Yes, we need to uh, uh, focus on intervention, which we do. But we don't have the financial capacity to take on those challenges. And these are provincial responsibilities. All of these things that I have identified are health-related. Addiction is a health issue. Mental health is a health issue. People experience houselessness. That's a provincial responsibility because it deals with housing. So they need to step up and we need to work with them to ensure that we are collaborating in a way that we are focused on people. Let me ask you this in closing. Uh, we appreciate your time, and I know you have a hard out. You've got stuff to get to here, uh, including making that bet with Denver's mayor, and so we got to leave time for that. But 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 in closing, uh, federal liberal government yesterday tabled legislation relating to handguns that would restrict the, the sale or the resale possession of handguns. Details uh, still to be revealed in some context. People can look it up online and Google it. I want to cut right to the chase. Alberta's chief firearms officer you remember this was a position created by the kenny government uh terry bryant called it yesterday an intrusion and virtue signaling uh what's your position on the legislation that's being proposed and is it something you think could assist in efforts to stamp out some of these rising crime rates in edmonton so you may remember ryan the previous legislation from the federal government uh uh, you know, put this responsibility on municipalities that if they want to ban ban handguns, they can't do that. I think that was a wrong decision. Today's yesterday's decision is the right decision. Federal government should be taking the leadership in uh, controlling the sale of handguns and making sure they are not being transferred from one on owner to the to the other, and that the people who commit crimes, uh, uh, who engage in domestic violence, should not have access to uh, handguns or uh, or other firearms. So this is the right step in the right direction. I, I in my view, there's no place for handguns in urban centers there's no need for it need for them and uh, and this is the right step and i i i hope that will help us uh, uh, control some of the gang violence that we have seen in our city and also having more uh, harsher penalties for those who smuggle uh, guns into uh, into our communities and also traffic guns into our communities. So this is a step in the right direction in my mind. Edmonton's mayor Amarjeet Sohi we always appreciate your availability on the show. Thanks for this and go Oilers go. Absolutely. Go, Ellers. Go. All right. Good stuff. Thanks, Mayor. Uh, coming up in in just a moment. Uh, and, and by the way, before I move on, we're always curious to know, I know that sometimes the show will touch down on something for 45 seconds and then move on. Uh, we're always curious for your take on this. And in particular, when it comes to firearms, uh, our official research and strategy partners at Y Station have made this our question of the week this week. Officially right now, ready for your input on our website, RyanJesperson.com. You just go to the connect link and then you click on question of the week. Uh, another string of high profile mass shootings. Can you believe we say that out loud, Johnny? Another string of high profile mass shootings. I never wanted I even never want to just have that be normal. Even just 10 years ago, we would never yeah, say a sentence yeah. like that. You know, yeah, I don't want it just to just to be like, oh, yeah, another string of mass shootings and then just keep moving on. But, but another string of high profile mass shootings have rocked our neighbors in the United States, including one of the worst all time shootings in the country's history. Of course, in Uvalde, Texas, at that elementary school, it's brought the gun control debate front and center again. But in a seemingly more polarized environment, uh, we talked to Charles Adler yesterday about the NRA convention in Houston this past weekend, as an example. This weekend or this week, rather, we want to know how you feel about the issues and the solutions to this truly epidemic problem. You can click right there on the link to respond. It'll take you 
I don't know, a minute and a half, two minutes to go through. You can take more time if you like. Um, There are some opportunities. We leave it blank where you can just spill out what you have to say. I mean, if you want to go on a rant, we welcome that. If you just want to click through the multiple choice really quickly to make sure your perspective is registered, you can do that as well. Our question of the week is presented by our research and strategy partners at Y Station and our Patreon supporters. Thank you for your support. Receive exclusive access to the top line report. It's like a 15 or 20 page report every week that sifts through all the data. It's fascinating to read through. You get not all the comments from audience members. I mean, there's hundreds of them, but but they put probably between 15 and 50 of them in each one, plus all of the data narrowed down so you can truly understand where your fellow real talkers are coming from. I should also mention while you're on our website, you can also check out under the events link, the Real Talk Golf Classic. It's coming up on June 23rd. That's a Thursday at two o'clock at the Ranch Golf and Country Club. 18 holes on one of my favorite courses to play. Johnny's going to be there DJing. Look how lit up you get whenever you talk about it. I'm really excited about this day. (laughs) You get flush. We're going to fund the Real Talk Julie Rohr Scholarship with this golf tournament, which is why it's so incredibly important to us. We've got some amazing sponsors lined up. I told you about the Dilly Bar Shooters. we got food trucks. We've got beer stations. We've got, we're going to have a whole bunch of amazing, our friends at Friesen Brothers are there. They're doing sausage on a bun. They're bringing their big grill. Our friends at St. Albert Dodge are bringing a Jeep by that you can win a hole-in-one prize, 40000 bucks up for grabs, some great door prizes, including from the Edmonton Oilers. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We sure appreciate that from them. All of the proceeds, every single cent that we uh, make on this golf tournament, every single dollar is going toward that scholarship. Register today before it's too late. Thursday, June 23rd at the Ranch Golf and Country Club. It's a 215 shotgun start. We can't wait to see you there, Real Talkers. You and I are gonna. We're, you and I are gonna be on one of the tee boxes. We're gonna. I'm not golfing. I'm. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna bring my. Uh, I already know what tee box we're on. Uh, it's my favorite tee shot on the whole course. I feel like I'm it's a very in, self-serving placement. I know, and I feel like I'm placed in the spot where everyone's gonna come up, buy me drinks, and I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be forty dilly bar shots deep. We'll keep and you with far, a far away ache by like the second hour of this event. We'll keep, we'll keep you far, far away from the dilly bar shooter truck. <laughs> Uh, but it's going to be great. Yeah, we'll have you pounding the tunes. I can hit people's tee shot if they want. Pounding the tunes and pounding the dilly bar shots. <laughs> I like it. I like it. At the Real Talk Golf Classic coming up June 23rd, not to be missed. Speaking of St. Albert Dodge, uh, you know that they've got the best selection in partnership with their sister dealership at Sherwood Dodge. Uh, just a quick drive between the two of them. They can share their inventories. And so let's say you're browsing at one of their lots and you go, I love this Ram 1500, but... Uh, do you have it in crew cab or, or maybe do you have it with that, you know, the leather or do you have it with the whatever you want, the seat vents, the seat heaters, whatever luxury angle you're looking for, or maybe you're looking for something more economical, whatever it is, they'll find you exactly what you're looking for. You can start your search today online, browse their new and used inventory or go see their team in person. And don't forget their parts and service department. I love dealing with these guys. They've got their customers as number one. It's why they keep earning the return business that they do at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. Our friends at Infinity Healthcare are hiring right now. They're always looking for healthcare aides, licensed practical nurses. This is a great opportunity if you've got experience in the healthcare sector, but you're looking to change up the pace a little bit. Maybe you're looking for a change of environment. Maybe COVID's taken its toll on you and you're feeling exhausted. You'd like to get back to one-on-one meaningful care. A home care environment could be a perfect fit. 
You can learn more about what it means to be a customer care navigator with Infinity Healthcare by checking out their website today, infinity-8.ca. An amazing opportunity to provide meaningful, reliable, dependable, and customized healthcare to the customers of Infinity Healthcare. You can find them under the Sponsors tab on our website. And our friends at Park Power are your friendly local utilities provider. Can we pull up that thing I snagged off their Instagram yesterday? I love this. I'll describe it for our podcast listeners. You got a guy, are those Beats headphones, I think? The bright orange of the Park Power logo, the Park Power brand. They look incredible. They look really, I need <laughs> I need a pair of bright orange headphones like that. How it playoff. feels, they say, how it feels when your utilities support local. And then, and then the guys in the position that back in the day, us old school skiers from the late 80s, early 90s, would, would, would call that he is midway through a double daffy. I believe it's also an 80s rock riff jump. It is an 80s yeah. rock riff jump. It's like you can picture Sammy Hagar or Eddie Van Halen. I can't remember which one sang jump. Strumming. I should know. Hagar <laughs> it is, it Van, is Van Halen. Halen. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Just painted myself into a corner there. What kind of a Van Halen? Yeah, thanks, pal. Thanks, pal. What do you mean when my utilities support local? Well, when you bring your business, electricity, natural gas, internet over to Park Power, 10% of their electricity proceeds go to nonprofits. How cool is that? And you choose on their website, parkpower.ca, which charity you'd like to benefit. What other company does that? Quick answer, none of them. The promo code 2022-REALTALK gets you 70 bucks off your first bill with Park Power. Well, I've been looking forward to this conversation for months. Uh, we've been hearing from this real talker. She's an audience member of ours on and off uh, over the course of more than a year. She's shared her opinions with us on crime and punishment, on justice in Canada, on immigration policy, on rising costs of living, on crop security, on refugee crises that we're seeing in countries like Ukraine, Afghanistan, and where she's checking in from right now in Syria. Rhea Lisa Tegan, uh, or rather Schmidt Tegan, uh, pardon me, is joining us this morning from Damascus, Syria. She was born in Pakistan, raised in Calgary, Alberta. Uh, since she was six years old, she's been working internationally in the humanitarian field for more than 15 years. Her service has taken her to Afghanistan, Pakistan, Haiti, the Philippines, Iraq, Bangladesh, and most recently, where she is right now, in Syria. She's been in the Middle East since 2015, working in Iraq and Syria, and she's kind enough to make herself available for us live. It's a real honor to connect with you, Ray Elisa. Thank you so much for making time for us today. Thank you very much. It's a real pleasure for me. Um, sorry, there's a bit of a delay. We don't have great internet service. So, well, can I tell you? And I and I and I've I've learned through the course of, of my media career that I should not say what I'm about to say. But so far, so good. We can actually hear you crystal clear. Although our technical producer John Hicks just buried his head in his hands right now. I'll knock on our wood <laughs> table and we'll move forward. You, uh, I mean, I, I, I read through very briefly. I mean, I know that this is an interview and I, you know, I've been, I've been looking forward to connecting with you for a long time to pick your brain. I don't know a lot about your background, but, but I suspect that we could speak for hours. I mean, I could ask you about your time in Afghanistan. I could ask you about being born in Pakistan. I could, I could ask you about your time in Iraq, of course, but you're clearly a person that is drawn, uh, to the service or to the aid of others. Uh, when was that right. seed or how was that seed planted in your own life? Well, I think it was probably planted with my birth parents. Um, 
being born in Pakistan, they were working in Pakistan when we were when I was born and my younger brother and younger sister as well. Um, so I think there's part of it that is in my DNA. Um, and then I've always been attracted to other cultures and other um, areas of the world. And uh, this was one of the most practical ways to, I think, um, really provide assistance to people that are really vulnerable and in need. Um, and also uh, to experience uh, other cultures and broaden my own perspective and understanding of the world. So, yeah, I think at an early age, it was planted in me. <laughs> when did you uh, when did Syria wind up on your radar? Like what what prompted you uh, to take your uh, humanitarian service to that country? Was it was it right in the midst of, of the crisis? You've been there for a few years now. Yeah. So I've been here since 2019, but. I think from the beginning, when the uh, when the crisis first started here in 2011, I was at that point already interested. And so I tried numerous ways with the, the organization I was with at the time to get into Syria and um, was always kind of just put off. Um, so now I in 2000, October 2019, the opportunity came up. I interviewed and got the position and um, I'm just thrilled to be here. It was a long time waiting. So I know that, uh, and, and, and I want to, to our audience, they're going to be, they're gonna, my audience, I just want to hit this one head on. They're going to say, well, why isn't he talking about who she's there with? Or why isn't he identifying who she's working with? Are these There are certain sensitivities, right? And, and I'll let you uh, determine what you want to share with us and, and what you don't, but you have to, you have to be quite considerate about what you say to whom you say it and all those types of things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we are, we suspect we're probably monitored in what we say. So we're very um, careful about how we speak here. Um, we are, I'm happy to talk about what we do. Yeah. Uh, and because I'm not representing my organization in this interview, I've chosen not to share what organization I'm with, but if people do want to contact me, they are welcome to do so. And I can share and talk with them further then. Yeah. And, and we're happy to make that liaison as well. People can send us an email anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com and we'll be happy to make those connections. Uh, you're coming to us live from Damascus. What, what does Damascus look like right now? What's the reality on the ground? I mean, what do you see on a daily basis? Well, um, Damascus itself actually was quite protected during the crisis um, because it is kind of the seat of government here. Um, so the outskirts of Damascus, as you travel outside of Damascus, you'll see a lot of destruction and um, buildings demolished. And um, But within the area that I'm in and the areas that I kind of travel in within Damascus City um, are actually quite normal, just outside of my um apartment is a park where families come and especially in the summer it is jam-packed full of families and kids in the playground and um so it all it almost at times feels like there isn't a crisis um happening all around me um but yeah what i see every day in damascus is quite a normal um, existence for a lot of people but it hasn't been normal um and every single person in this city has been impacted by the crisis, including my national staff. So hmm. yeah, there's a, there's this weird kind of reality of, wow, there's a beautiful park and there's families and there's kids playing and it looks like life is normal. And then um, under the surface, life is really just not normal at all. 
Hmm. I mean, the, the images are powerful and, and, and we have some video that we can. I want to be clear, this is not submitted by you, but this is, is coverage of the, the Syrian refugee crisis, which I know for, for many people um, was was quite striking in particular because Syria was one of the countries that accepted or welcomed the most refugees of, of any country on planet Earth for, for many, many years until hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Syrians were, were forced yeah. to flee um, to find yeah. safety or, or at least some temporary security for their family. I mean, a dramatic turnaround for a country that, that for many years had, had played the opposite role. Um, it, yeah. Do you see evidence that 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 there is a, a recovery? Do you see evidence that there could be a return to normal? Uh, I mean, you wrote to us in an email. You want to remind the world that Syria is still here. What do people need to know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a long ways to normal right now. Um, sanctions are crippling the economy here, along with other mitigating factors like poor governance potentially and things like that. But sanctions has really had a, a crippling effect. And um, and there's still ongoing fighting happening in different pockets of the country. Um, so the war is not yet over, actually. Um, and people are really suffering. There's over 12 million people in food insecurity. There's a massive drought that has um, crippled the wheat harvest. And now with um, import from Ukraine for wheat not being possible, it is causing an increase in people not being able to provide for their families. So there's the coping mechanism of skipping meals is happening. And like, I think we can all attest with with that whole um, formula shortage in the States, like having your children go hungry is a terrifying prospect um, for people. So yeah, it's a, it's going to be a long road to normal. It is by no means over. And um, yeah. As, as a humanitarian worker with like two decades of experience, essentially, um, have you found, do you have to compete for the world's attention uh, to, to adequately fund programs or, or to keep um, initiatives that you may have going on the radar to, to, to attract or retain the attention of federal governments. Uh, we talked last week on the show about immigration backlogs impacting refugees. Uh, a fascinating conversation with an immigration lawyer out of Montreal. Uh, do you have to compete yeah, for, for, a, to for a short attention span? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I think uh, Ukraine, uh, Syria was already suffering from um, governments just kind of seeming to forget about it or people forgetting about it. And compassion fatigue is a real thing. Like people are weary of all the conflicts and wars. And so showing compassion or even like giving to the things is, I think it's a, it's a real thing, but um, Ukraine kicked off and immediately the attention of the world was on Ukraine and Syria kind of fell into the backdrop. And um, there's sometimes I feel like there's almost a mentality of, um, they need to fix themselves, but <laughs> like people's basic needs aren't being met. They're not even able to like necessarily plan for um, the next few months, let alone like try to figure out how to fix their country. So it's yeah, competing for funding is a massive, massive issue. And one that we're really a lot of organizations here right now are really struggling with. Yeah. So what are you able to do like with regards to the work that's actually happening on the ground with regards to providing those basic needs and then also trying to look ahead 
and forecast what people might be able to do or might be able to use or, or will drastically need weeks or months mm-hmm. down the road. How do you manage it all? And what's your group doing? So we are currently right now, we are working in three different sectors. We're working in shelter um, and infrastructure, um, not so much, well, a little bit of infrastructure um, in water projects and then in um, health as well. So we rehabilitate and re-equip clinics, um, primary health care clinics, as well as maternity centers that have been impacted by the crisis. And then we um, train healthcare workers and community health workers who then do um, community health messaging around the communities in the communities that are around the clinic. Um, in the health compartment as well, in the communities that are around the clinic, we are we do assessments of people with this living with disabilities, and then we are able to provide things like wheelchairs or walkers or canes or um, things like that that sometimes people. Uh, have have not had an opportunity to have because people living with disabilities, there's very little services, very few services for them in Syria. And um, and then in our water projects, we rehabilitate uh, water stations or kind of the source of, so people will often be in a village or a community, will often be connected to a water network, but their um, source of water, the water station or the borehole or the well is actually been destroyed. And so we um, rehabilitate the source of the water or we'll rehabilitate, repair a pipeline to connect people back to water, um, to getting water in their homes. Uh, and then under shelter, we have, a, we have some small projects with shelter rehabilitation going on. Um, some of the photos I sent you um, show some of the homes that have been destroyed. Um, and so we work with um, families to try to rehabilitate and re- repair some of their homes um, that have been destroyed. When you talk to, I mean, I, I guess this is maybe a stupid question because everyone's going to have their own perspective, but I'm sure you, you talk to hundreds, if not thousands of Syrians. Um, mm-hmm. Do you get the sense that the average Syrian believes that one day their country will achieve that stability and even the prosperity uh, that it enjoyed for many years? Or do you get the sense that when people are fleeing, that they have the perspective that they may not be coming back what are you picking up on um that is definitely the sense i get i talk to my staff and there's a real sense of there's this uh paradox for them i think that they wrestle with that is um a deep sense of pride in being syrian um but also a sense of hopelessness with their ability to do anything to impact the situation um and a deep sense of uh, yeah, not being able to change anything. Um, people that leave, um, last year, refugees in Jordan and Lebanon were interviewed and many of them, um, and I can't remember the exact statistic, but many of them said they don't plan to return, um, because it, what are they returning to? They're still returning to homes that have been destroyed. They're still returning to villages that don't have services like water, they're still, they would still be returning to villages that don't have access to healthcare. Um, and so there's, I think, even though there's a deep sense of pride about being Syrian, which they should have, there's also just a, I think, a hopelessness um, that kind of sits in them, hmm. in many of them that I've talked to. You mentioned the, the debilitating effect that sanctions were having on the country. Uh, and I remember one of your emails to us. I want to let you know how much I've appreciated your correspondence with the show. You were somewhat cynical that the West's threats 
of sanctions against Russia or the West implementing sanctions against Russia, I should say the Western world or, you know, whatever, however you want to refer to it, Britain, the United States, Canada, et cetera. uh, You were somewhat cynical that that was going to be effective in in stamping out Vladimir Putin's aggression against Ukraine. What's the difference there? I mean, you acknowledge the impact of sanctions on Syria, but you didn't think or you don't think that they're going to work against Russia. Can you take us into it? Yeah. Um, So let me be clear here. Uh, The impact of sanctions in Syria is having the same, I'm guessing, again, I'm not an economist and I haven't done enough research to know, but is probably having the same impact that it's having in Russia, which is on the people. Mm -hmm. It's not actually impacting the powers that be that have been sanctioned. It's having an impact on economy. Um, in Syria, there's blanket sanctions on energy re- reconstruction and investment. Um, so private businesses can't invest in Syria. Um, we as humanitarian workers are told we are not allowed to reconstruct anything. We can rehabilitate, but there is fine lines between rehabilitation and reconstruction. And reconstruction is seen by donors as being as propping up the government and helping infrastructure. So we can't do anything about the electricity crisis. We can't do anything about the fuel. Um, so there's these sanctions that are impacting the everyday citizen and not impacting the people that are actually being sanctioned. And so my guess is what's happening in Russia as well. Again, let me be clear. I'm not an economist. I'm not in any way a professional or an, or an analyst in these things. Sure. Um, but that they are not impacting Putin at all and they are impacting his people and they're impacting the economy and and that is where the rubber meets the road, is when people can't feed their families. Um, but the powers that be that are actually sanctioned, the individuals that are sanctioned, they can feed their families. And the reality is that sanctions is benefiting the sanctioned individuals. So who has, who has the resources to actually put in place the systems that we deal with under sanctions, like the black market, so black market fuel? Who has the resources to be able to actually put those systems in place? It's the sanctioned individuals who have those resources. So they are then being benefited by the sanctions. Um, So it's, and and furthermore, like I think sanctions is feeding the narrative and I think we're gonna have the same problem. This is my guess now again, we may have the same problem with Russia is sanctions is feeding a narrative about what is actually happening in Syria. So we've spoken, a community of us uh, organizations has spoken numerous times with big level donors, governments. And again and again, they ask us, how are you able to deliver principled humanitarian aid in in the government held areas of Syria? Because surely they must be dictating where you go. Surely you can't be independent from them. Surely you can't function as an independent humanitarian worker. because of this narrative that is happening from the outside. But again and again, we try to change this narrative, but it's it's not changing. And so this narrative of sanctions is really driving the narrative of Syria for donors and for people outside of Syria. You had you, you had indicated uh, to us in, in an email that that I don't want to put words in your mouth. Please correct me if I interpreted <laughs> incorrectly, but but that you believe that the world is perceiving Syrian refugees differently than refugees from Ukraine. Um, is that the case? And if so, why do you think that's the case? I do think it's the case. Um, just judging from some of the things that I've seen in the media. So comments like Ukrainian refugees are civilized. <laughs> 
and and even just from Canada's own um, response. So within weeks of the Ukrainian um, crisis launching, families in Canada were accepting Ukrainian families as refugees, which I, I let me be clear, I do not begrudge that at all. I right. think that it is amazing how how the world has stepped up. However, what took weeks for Ukrainian refugees took months and even years for Syrian refugees. So why the discrepancy? And and the comments in the media, the comments that I've heard from people about, and, and the comments that my staff have heard um, just watching media, they're, they've come to me and said, Raya, we're not different. Like, we're civilized, we're educated, we're not different from these people. And... And it's heartbreaking, really, because it is really racism at its core. And um, it's disturbing to me that the world has, that so many people in the world view Ukrainian refugees as more civilized or more educated or more whatever than Syrian refugees. And that's a real heartbreaking thing for me to watch and for me to listen to my staff. Um, And it's a heartache for them to watch this when, happening to be clear when you're referencing your staff you're talking about syrian nationals right syrian yeah. citizens yeah yeah i would imagine that there are some pretty powerful conversations with these people that are choosing uh to remain behind or choosing to pour their efforts into assisting their their fellow syrians right i would i would imagine oh these gosh. conversations could, could, could you make us privy to <laughs> yeah. some of the themes of those um, conversations you know, sometimes it's easy for me to forget, and I might cry. I'm a crier, so me too. Siri will break your heart. <laughs> um, sometimes it's easy for me to forget that my staff are just as have been just as impacted by this crisis. Um, they're so high capacity. They're highly educated. They they have a passion for their jobs. They have a passion to help Syrians. And then some of the conversations I've had with them just about their stories. So one of my area managers up in Aleppo, he he had to stop his wedding day because of bombing. Um, one of my other staff, uh, she got narrowly missed by a sniper as she was driving. The, snipe, the, the bullet went through the headrest of, of the car that she was in. Jeez. Um, another, another staff said that they would come, they would go to work and they literally left the house, not knowing if they would return back that day. Um, This is a reality of what people have faced here. And in some pockets of this country, people are still facing that. Um, And the government has control over most of the country now, but there are still fighting in some pockets and people are, there's still people facing that. I can't imagine, um, you know, you talk about compassion fatigue, and, and oftentimes people will refer to donor fatigue as well. And it's it's mm. difficult for people to stay on top of everything. And sometimes people go, "Just the world is so heavy right now; they just need a break from it." We yeah. try to be oh, conscious yeah. of yeah. it, even in putting together the editorial lineup of the show. But this is something that surrounds you every day. I mean, like I, you know, just to remind our our audience of of where you've uh, committed yourself, where your efforts have been. Like you, you've been working over the past fifteen years: Afghanistan, Pakistan, Haiti, the Philippines, Iraq, Bangladesh, Syria. None of these are vacation spots. Um, I mean, how do you wake up invigorated or, or I mean, I won't say motivated. I'm sure motivation is all around you. But how do you keep from burning out? Hmm. 
Well, we are given regular R&Rs, which is a gift. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, I'll be honest, Ryan, like I'll give some real talk here. Mm -hmm. It has been a wrestle in the last probably two years. Um, yeah, there's, I've struggled with anxiety, um, just worried about being able to do the job properly, being able to be like, do right by my staff. Um, it, and there's this wrestle between perseverance and endurance and when is it time to call it? And so for me right now, I'm still in the perseverance and endurance mode. And I, I grew up on this. I grew up with a work ethic from my dad and mom in the seventies and eighties of you stick it out no matter how hard it is. <laughs> and so I think that's part of what drives me is that work ethic, but also just a passion for this region. And I can't even put my finger on how I, I got this passion for this particular area of the world, but um, I really, I really just love it. And I think that's what kind of gets me up in the morning. Um, yeah. And just my relationships with my staff, some of the stories of people that we help um, and are able to provide assistance to. Yeah. That motivates me. People are watching on our live chat uh, or on, on our YouTube channel, I should say. Mark says, we Canadians need to seriously take note of how devastating and heartbreaking war is in countries like Libya, Syria, Ukraine, uh, and resolve our differences peacefully, lest it happen to us. Um, Karen, with a firsthand uh, testimony, says our church was part of a community effort called From Syria to Lethbridge uh, that sponsored a large yeah. family group. She says they're a warm, appreciative, hardworking people uh, that have made... Uh, a positive impact that from Karen and Jillian with this comment who says, and, and, and again, uh, Raya, Lisa, I know that you're, you, you know, you and I are coming from the same position. This is, this is not like uh, taking aim at the people of Ukraine. It, it not at all. No, not right. At all. That's not. No. And I know we both want to be very clear about that, but it's also real talk. So let's have yeah. it. Uh, Jillian, who was on the <laughs> show on Friday, by the way, um, yeah, this is great. This is a little trend, by the way. You, a real talker. Jillian, a real talker. We want to bring more real talkers on the show. This is real life stuff. We don't always want the executive directors and the CEOs. And, the, you know, I mean, so <laughs> they have their place. Uh, but you are boots on the ground. You're who we want to talk to. Jillian says there's 100 percent a stark difference in the response to Syria versus Ukraine. The difference when you have people in power in Western countries who have links, for example, to Ukraine and see them more as, quote, one of us. Uh, which is an yeah. interesting observation. Did you, did you, can I ask you to, 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 to move from your experience in one country to another? You spent time in Afghanistan yeah. and I know that this has been really difficult for people to reconcile. We know that there are at least 2,500 um, Afghan citizens who specifically helped Canadian soldiers, helped the Canadian military, assisted Canadian diplomats, took risks, risked their lives every day to help Canadians in yeah. Afghanistan and our country, quite frankly, in, in layman's terms is letting them down when it comes to the yeah. pace of welcoming them to Canada. And then there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of other refugees uh, or people that have fled Afghanistan or would be looking to leave. I mean, the evidence, uh, those, those images, everybody can remember when Canadian and American and other troops were leaving Afghanistan, yeah. perhaps most significantly the American troops under the order of, President Joe Biden, there, there were Afghani citizens trying to get up in, into the fuselage, try, trying to get up into the essentially 
you know, where the wheels are coming up on the planes. They're trying to get in there. To, I mean, it was people running onto the runways, people trying to hand their babies to soldiers to try yeah, to get them. I mean, like, yeah. how do you, you know, I, I see those types of things in my dreams. I don't know how you wrap your mind around it. You were there in Afghanistan. Now, the country under Taliban rule and, and people quite rightfully are saying, what was the point of the last 20 years? Uh, what, what was the point of any of this? How are you processing what you're seeing in Afghanistan? Oh, man. This is me off, Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was there in 2003, just after the invasion, um, American invasion and all the international troops were on the ground, including Canadian troops. There was just a ton of hope and um, about what was happening, about there was a sense of hope amongst all my Afghan friends about how things were changing. We watched elections happen, which had never happened before. Um, yeah, there was just so much hope, I think, about what was happening. And then to watch this happen, just the thing, and here I'll... <laughs> I'll give my opinion about foreign policy. Um, I don't know if you've ever watched Charlie Wilson's War. Yeah. Have you ever watched that? Yeah, with Tom Hanks. Yeah, there's a screen right at the tail end where it just is a black screen with a quote. And I can't remember the exact quote, but basically a story is like uh, Russia, uh, U.S. comes to the aid of um, Afghans who are fighting against the Russians in order to get the Russians out of Afghanistan. That's basic. And that's so this, the whole backstory of what happens in the Senate and the vote to go forward with, with uh, involvement in Afghanistan, et cetera. And Charlie Wilson had a vision for education, for like a long-term vision for how things could change. And he says at the very end, we really fucked up the end game. And, um, I have often thought about that in relation to Afghanistan with the Taliban, because the worldview in this region of the world in Afghanistan is so different than our Western worldview. And we just can't like assume that democracy is going to be a the best way forward or that it's going to happen in 20 years. It's going to take generations to change that worldview. And is it even right that we're trying to change it? How do we work within the system and the culture of things that they value and honor to help change that nation? And so for me, what we did in Afghanistan, while I think it started out with well-intentioned, no one was intending to be there for that long, but you can't go in and think that you're going to change a nation in, in even a decade. Like it just isn't going to happen. It takes generations, generations. And so unless you have a long-term vision, don't go. <laughs> but we have to figure out how to, like, how do we help these nations get to a place of health without thinking that our worldview and our system is the best solution for them because it isn't always the best solution. Hmm. I appreciate you taking that question. Uh, before we thank you for your time, and people are going to, this next question has nothing to do uh, with what we've been talking about. This is this is a, a story that, that has impacted Canadians. Um, you wrote us a very powerful email uh, back when we were talking about Jaskarat Singh Sandhu mm -hmm. and uh, the, the, the driver, the, the truck driver. Uh, Mr. Sandhu is behind the wheel of the semi-truck that collided yeah. with the Humboldt Broncos bus. And uh, he faces deportation. Uh, not yet a citizen, obviously, of Canada, um, 
under the Immigration and Refugee Protection Act. And we've received many emails from real talkers who have, um, you know, insisted that he needs to be able to stay. Uh, We've received emails from people that have insisted that he needs to be deported, uh, that that is integral or crucial for the the bereaved family's healing. Um, We talked about it on the show, and you reached out to us and, and shared a very personal detail about your life and your perspective on this. Um, and I want to make yeah. sure that this conversation doesn't stop because I think it's something it's important that we think about and not just in the case of, of Jaskrat Singh Sidhu, but I think mm. bigger picture uh, with regards yeah. to what forgiveness looks like or what justice looks like or what accountability looks like. Would you take us into your yeah. personal perspective on this? Yeah, sure. So I think I shared with you, um, my parents died at a very early age. So me and my younger brother and younger sister, I was six and my younger sister was four and my younger brother was a year and a half. Um, My parents died in a car crash. We were home on a break from Pakistan and uh, they went out, we weren't in the car um, and they went out for an evening with another um, couple and they were killed in a car crash, killed instantly in a head on collision. Um, we have been since then, which is 19, gosh, a long time ago, <laughs> 1977, we were adopted into another family, um, and which was an amazing experience for us. And I am incredibly close with all my siblings, um, including my adoptive siblings. Um, but when I was listening to that, um, that podcast about about I was overseas when when that whole situation happened, but I was talking with a friend about how it impacted basically all of Canada. And um, I was just thinking about, I don't know that deport a deportation to somewhere that could be dangerous for him or could mean that he doesn't that he is in danger when he goes back. Um, I think that should be taken into consideration, but also, healing doesn't come from from revenge or from quote justice being done um i think healing comes from forgiveness and my own story um i've thought a lot about whether or not what i would say if i ever met that driver um who was in the other vehicle i don't know what it was i details were never released to me um which is probably appropriate um but my own journey of forgiveness in allowing, I think, and I come from a, I come from a walk of faith. So allowing God to, but also making that choice to forgive and making a choice to say, you know what, I don't want this to hold me. And I think forgiveness is not about the other person. It's always about us. And it doesn't matter if you're from a walk of faith or not, there's been science studies done into what, forgiveness does for people when they are able to choose forgiveness. And so healing, I don't think it's going to come from deporting someone to what could be a dangerous situation for him. He is, he has shown every, every desire to be um, compliant. He has accepted his sentence. Him and his family have done everything they can to stay in Canada. Um, And because of one mistake, we are going to, cast judgment. And I just, I really struggled with that mentality. So yeah, I, that's not the answer. I don't think 
And I think we have to choose forgiveness. And you're right. It, it's a, it's a conversation that has to happen in a far broader sense, especially in our very divided world right now. Um, this is a conversation I think that, that impacts so many areas of our lives. Um, but specifically for him, I don't think it's going to bring healing to the families for him to be deported. You talk about our very divided world and, and it's like we hear people offer that as a, 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 a caveat or a context provider, like in so many of our conversations, you know, and it's, I, I feel like that's what gets me up in the morning, you know, it's like yeah. the acknowledgement that we need to have a place where we can have these conversations yeah. um, where yeah. their division exists around us. And I think it probably always have, it feels like it's amped up right now. It really does. It feels like everybody's yeah. on teams or in camps uh, and th there's not a lot of meeting in the middle, but, but I, I read your email to us. It was on March 15th. You sent it. And, um, I've read it several times and you wrote, I hold no animosity for the woman who killed my parents. That sentence just leapt off the page. You said my heart aches for the grief and horror she must have lived through knowing what her actions caused. You wrote one of your listeners said we need to forgive. And I would echo that. That is what will bring peace to your heart. But deportation is not the answer here. And I just thought, man, I mean, I would imagine it. I mean, you were six. Right. Six is like, do you, do you remember my, my little guy's six? And I want to believe that if something were to happen to me, that he would remember me forever. Do you, do you remember your parents? Oh yeah. 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 I remember very specific things about my parents. Oh. Yeah. Well, Hey, listen, He'll remember you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, um, uh, it's just been such an honor to talk to you. I just feel, and I, and, and I'll say this in closing. I just, when, when you talk to certain people and you just pick up on a real depth of character and real conviction. And, um, I expected as much based on your correspondence with the show. I feel honored that you're downloading our podcast from Damascus. It means so much to us. Um, and, and if I may, we'll consider you one of our international correspondents. I'd love for you to keep in that. touch with the show. And, and, and why don't we stay yeah. in semi-regular contact? I can tell our audience sure. is, is, is really developing a connection with you as well. Thank you so much for making time. What time is it? It's about, you're about nine hours ahead. Is that right? You're like right around supper time yeah. right now. It's yeah, quarter to seven. Okay, good stuff. Well, Raya Lisa Schmidt Teigen, uh, thank you so much checking in live from Syria today. Proud thank to call you. you a real talker. Oh, thank you so much, Brian. It's been a real pleasure for me. You bet. If you'd like to send a message directly to Raya Lisa to learn more about what she or her group are doing, if you'd like to pick her brain with a few more specific details that uh, for obvious reasons, she she's uh, not comfortable or not at Liberty to share in a public forum like this. You can always send us an email to talk at Ryan .com, And a member of our team will be more than happy to put you in touch with her. What an impressive human being. I just, uh, some of the things she's talking about there, especially when you invoked that image, uh, I'll show you right now of the, the refugees, like how, how bad they wanted to get out uh, in Afghanistan, trying and to like storming the tarmac, trying to get on these cargo planes. They would risk their own lives. And we saw, I don't want to show them here, but we yeah. saw images of people falling from the yeah. plane. And then, like you said, like, I'm not a father, but can you imagine giving your baby to someone? Just like looking just, at them and pleading, like, please save try their to, lives. Like, yeah. take it's, yeah, it was just. And there's people that are doing this, like, I'm talking about Raya Lisa now, that are like every, and, and she's just one, right? There are people all around the world that are that, that have given their lives to service of others in humanitarian aid. Yeah. Like every single day, she there's not an easy day. I wouldn't imagine. It really puts and, things in perspective. Like yeah, what you're worried about back here, right? Yeah. you know. Yeah, 
I'm so glad the internet connection up. held up after I jinxed us. <laughs> when she came on, I was like, oh, the video is really face. bad, but the audio as is As soon as perfect, I was like, we're golden, so and Johnny just goes, no, don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> you know, every week, uh, our friends at Leading Edge Physiotherapy uh, give us a chance to focus on an, an innovative idea or an approach to something, a problem solver, a person that's really changing the game in their field of expertise. We call it the Leading Edge. And in the spotlight today, check this out. This is uh, really neat. I mean, obviously, the team at Leading Edge Physiotherapy is in the business of getting you back to your healthiest self, right? They tell you life shouldn't hurt. Well, check this out. Aquatic therapy is a new area of specialty, including and featuring the SwimX pool. And this is why people are focusing on the innovation angle here, because it's changing the game allowing patients to swim continuously in a so-called static setting to exercise in a moving wall of water. Well, why is this so important? It's because it stimulates muscle contraction patterns. It makes aquatic therapy an excellent tool for treatment of low back pain. Who's not suffering from low back pain right now? Neck pain, as well as a complete range of orthopedic conditions like joint replacement, reconstruction, Here's five reasons why you might want to consider taking your injury into a SwimX pool. The weightlessness means less stress on your joints. Less joint stress, of course, means less pain. Less pain, more effective workouts. More workouts and more effectiveness there. More strength, more endurance, of course, which means better well-being for a healthy life. The SwimX pool is changing the game with its heated, controlled speed water current and that's why it's on The Leading Edge. The Leading Edge is presented every Tuesday here on Real Talk by Leading Edge Physiotherapy. Life shouldn't hurt. Well, we don't know what the rest of the week holds here on the show. <laughs> I uh, love your outlook right <laughs> now. Because <laughs> we've been talking about it like, we don't know. We literally, but you're going to have a baby any second now. Like, my, my wife is, uh, you, well, my, not my, you, my wife, Gary. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> collectively, we will welcome a new human to planet Earth at some point. Like, this is the waiting it's game. It's coming. It's coming. Like, it could, it, it like who knows like maybe i should check my phone right now I, I was i was joking with you i said i've had my ringer on for the first time in like three years yeah i always have my phone on silent but i've had my ringer on right now to make sure but but real talkers we want to let you know that whatever happens like like we'll plan on doing a show tomorrow we'll plan on doing a show thursday and we're already looking ahead to friday's roundtable but but then yeah. again maybe not we don't know and this is one of life's great joys uh we don't we, we don't know if if the baby's gonna have uh this name or that name we we don't know if the baby uh we don't know anything Thing about this marvelous Living little on one, the edge. except for that, we know that they're probably looking to be a little bit bigger than their older brother Wyatt when they're born. That's what that's what the consensus is. That's what the and, ultrasounds. Uh, are showing. That's what the yeah. ultrasounds are showing. And oh, yeah, we've had to approach the ultrasounds very carefully as well, right? Because you don't want to see certain things. So we say to our ultrasound tech, so you really we don't, don't know. Really don't know. You don't know if this is a boy. Or I'm girl. not. You I'm don't not know BSing what's you. On. We really don't know. Wow. We have no idea. Uh, but I'll tell you, real talkers, you will be among the first to know. If and when, and who knows, maybe this will be three weeks from now. It might be three hours from now. You're going to want to stay locked into our Real Talk Twitter account at Real Talk RJ. And then, of course, you can follow me personally at Ryan Jesperson on Twitter and Instagram, too. And we'll keep you posted there. I'm trying to be as fair as I can to John. 
uh, because you don't even really know what your next number of days is going to look like, and we appreciate your flexibility. Hey, I just know I'm getting a few days off <laughs> yeah. coming up soon, so <laughs> yeah, I don't mind when right. it comes. That might be right. Nothing wrong with that. Until we tap you on the shoulder for babysitting. What's too soon? What's too soon for mom and dad to have a night out while Uncle John babysits? <sighs> maybe, a f- maybe a few months in. What's the rate? Um, well, we keep the fridge stocked. How's that? We keep the fridge stocked. (laughs) Hey, our friends at Friesen Brothers wanted us to remind you that coming up this weekend, it's going to be June 3rd through 5th. They've got a family-friendly free weekend planned out in Fort Saskatchewan, okay? This is their Big Bands Bash. Uh, 23 different bands to see how cool is that if you go to Friesen.com that's F-R-E-S-O-N Friesen.com click on the link you can find out more details about this event on West Park Boulevard big bands ranging from jazz brass concert performances they're going to be performing in the Friesen Brothers Fort Saskatchewan parking lot you're encouraged to bring your family out, your friends, your neighbors, tap your feet, swing and sway all day long, and then dance the night away Friday and Saturday from 9 to 11 p.m. If you've not been out to the Fort Saskatchewan Friesen Brothers, I'm not going to send you out there for some lousy experience. Trust me, you're going to walk in, your jaw's going to hit the floor. Tell them Jespo sent you and enjoy your time at Friesen Brothers. Don't forget, the first of the month, that's tomorrow, is 15% off all grocery purchases over $75 at 16 Friesen Brothers across the province. Our friends at Local Environmental are keeping it local in Alberta and Saskatchewan, and, and that includes fencing and portable toilets, water hauling, vacuum trucks, recycling, residential, all the stuff you need if you're throwing big events, big summer events like a children's festival, a music festival. If you're in charge of the handling the details, may we recommend localenvironmental.ca. You can request your quote today for free. And Athabasca University is, you know, Canada's online university. There's no other post-secondary institution in Canada that has built its reputation on research, on credibility, a fully accredited world-class lineup of online programs and courses. But here's the thing. They come with the flexibility to learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle. If you want to better yourself, if you want to prepare yourself for a new career opportunity, but you know that there's going to be bumps in your schedule or maybe interruptions in your availability, Athabasca U could be the perfect fit for your future. You can check them out today at AthabascaU.ca. And again, one last reminder as we sign off for the day. As we say goodbye on this Tuesday, we really want to see a sold-out lineup at the Real Talk Golf Classic. That's coming up June 23rd at the Ranch Golf and Country Club, 2.15 p.m. Tee off. We've got a couple spots left for sponsors. And, of course, we'd love to see the tee sheet full. You can get your foursome registered today and know that you're going to be doing something fantastic, funding that Real Talk Julie Rohr Scholarship. It's going to make available $5,000 a year for a post-secondary student who's lost a parent to cancer. It means a lot to us. We know it means a lot to you, Real Talkers. And so we hope to see 144 golfers out there on Thursday, June 23rd. Thanks for making time for the show today, friends. Make it a great Tuesday. Puck drop. 6 p.m. Mountain tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern. Get in your predictions. You can tweet them at us and we'll find out who was right. Who has bragging rights when it comes to game one of the Western Conference Finals? I'm going to be at Greta tonight. If you're in the Edmonton area, you want to come hang out, say hi, have a cold one on me. The offer stands, Real Talkers. Have a great Tuesday and we'll talk to you soon.
Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Technical producer, John Hicks. Managing director, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Lawrence Derlego. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.